Welcome to episode eight of the Red Letter Disciple. My name is Zach Zender, and Chris Johnson, my co-host, is going to be joining me in just a couple of minutes. And when Chris comes, you know the fun is coming with him. <laughs> we hope this podcast challenges you wherever you are to be a greater follower of Jesus. Our hope is that we would all together be greater followers of Jesus so that collectively we can give the world a greater, truer, and fuller expression of Jesus. Man, the world would change if we could get that right or even closer, glimpses of it at times. And so, hey, in this podcast, we want to challenge you. I know you're going to be inspired, and I promise you, you're going to have a lot of laughs along the way with us. Episode 8 features uh, my friend Rusty George. Rusty has grown to be an incredible leader, but amazingly, he calls himself really simple. And so we have a great conversation about discipleship, whether like it should be simple or deep, because that's a knock sometimes that we hear. And then we do actually dive deep into a, a really tough, tragic moment in his church in 2019 when their family pastor committed suicide. Like, how do you lead through something like that? It's a really helpful conversation at a much needed time in our nation when mental health and these these issues continue to keep coming up. And so Rusty is a really great fresh answer in all of this that I know you're going to love. So last week I shared the news. I don't know if you heard, but the Red Letter Disciple is coming back for a season two because of your love and support, which show itself through five-star reviews, sharing on social media, following on your favorite platform. We are committed to continuing to bring interviews with world-class disciples. So, hey, if you know of a world-class disciple that you would love to hear from, like, let us know. Go over to redletterpodcast.com. There you can contact us at that site. You can also check out all the past episodes that you might have missed and read the show notes to connect more with our guests and the resources that they have available. I know that every single one of us, we are all presented with obstacles, but can you turn obstacles into opportunities? That's the question. One of the, one of the biggest obstacles in the church that we face today, it's around money and giving and generosity. It's one of the five discipleship targets I teach in Red Letter Challenge, and yet giving money, it's still a major obstacle and struggle for so many. So I, I wanted to ask Phil Ling, the founder and president of The Giving Church, who has fresh eyes on this from helping more than a thousand churches. Phil, what is the biggest obstacle to giving in the church today from your lens? Hey, for my chair, it's fuzzy vision. People do not give to what they do not understand. Vision has to be clear, crisp, and compelling. Clear, does it make sense? Crisp, does it take you too long to explain why we're doing whatever it is that we're doing? And compelling, when you're finished, do I raise my hand and say, hey, I'd like to help you with that? Unanswered questions are stumbling blocks to my participation. The more questions you leave on the table, the less that I participate. So how do we answer those questions before they're asked. And the best way to do it is with clear, crisp, compelling vision. That's what I love about what you and the great people at The Giving Church do is you not only will help raise funds, but you'll, you'll help actually make sure that that vision is clear, crisp, compelling, so that as they're going to seek those funds, they've already thought about the unanswered questions that might come in their church. And so you've had the ability to help more than a thousand churches. And so if you're thinking about maybe you have a kingdom vision or dream that hasn't happened yet and and you're wanting coaching or consulting, or maybe you're ready to 
run a full capital campaign. Like talk to the guys at The Giving Church. They would love to help you. They, they, they have a website for you, thegivingchurch.com slash red, that not only can you learn more about who they are and what they offer, but they will also give you a free PDF, five ways to grow your church's giving. What I love about this PDF is it's not just... It's not just opinions. It's actually based on a study that they did that's unique to them of thousands of churches where they collected real objective data that is now helping churches understand how to more effectively grow their church's giving. So I know you want that, Pastor. I know you want to grow your church's giving, and they're giving it to you for free. So come on, thegivingchurch.com slash red. You can access that and check out this awesome team. So here we go. Episode eight. Let's do this. All right, well, welcome. We got a really great episode here of Red Letter Disciple. That's right. I love our guest today. Mm -hmm. His name, Rusty George. Mm -hmm. He is the lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. I think they got campuses like all over the place now. Um, And beyond leading Real Life Church, Rusty is a global speaker, leader, uh, teacher. Um, His bio says he focuses on making real life simple. Um, He's written several books, some great books, and he can also be heard weekly on his podcast, Leading Simple with Rusty George. Aside from all of that, he is a loyal Chiefs, Royals, and Lakers fan. Wow, that's an odd combination right there. So I want to know before we dive into anything like we Kansas should introduce City. him first. Hold on. Bring him on the screen. There, there we it go. Is. Ladies and gentlemen, Rusty George. <laughs> there you go. And obviously, for those listening, we got this on YouTube, too, so you can see Rusty. That's it. So I want to know you've got Chiefs and Royals, Wait, Kansas City. And I think then he's there's wearing a Royals shirt right now. Look at that. Yeah. Damn. How does that so happen? I, well, no one chooses to be a Royals fan. You are, <laughs> you are predestined. You're uh, born into it. Uh, so I, no, just kidding. That's uh, funny. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm not. So I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and it was during the eighties. The Royals were not only just down the street, but they were on TV a lot. They were great because of George Brett. George Brett. So my dad and I really bonded over the Royals and we'd go to games and watch games. And I just loved, I loved baseball. And obviously if you're there, then you got to be a Chiefs fan, which has been long suffering until the last few years. True. And I love basketball, but we had no pro team, but the Lakers were on all the time. So they became my team. Now I happened to move out to Los Angeles, you know, almost 20 years ago. And I've had a chance to go to games, which is just really fun for that to kind of come full circle. So that's kind of my uh, my loyalty lineage. There you yeah. go. Yeah, that's that's unique. And I can feel your pain. I was passed down or predestined <laughs> from my family to be a Cleveland uh, sports fan. Ouch. And it's been <laughs> it's just been ouch. hard. Yeah, I'm LeBron so for I need help. I yeah, need help LeBron for a couple of years. I know. And then now L.A. has him. And- well, we'll gladly give him back. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. There uh, who knows? Trade has been made. He's going to go wherever his son Bronny goes in a couple of years. So we'll that's true. There, that's but. true. Uh, oh man. Hey, we are pumped to have you on, uh, Rusty. You're a great leader, great pastor, great author. Uh, I've had a chance to talk to you a few times, and even in my life, what I would say I'm really grateful for is. Um, I've kind of grown in my identity as a writer, and uh, you said some really encouraging things to me when we talked last that really helped me with that. And so um, I'm really grateful for you, and I know our audience is going to have an awesome time uh, listening to you. Um, So, hey, man, this is a podcast all about discipleship, and and so you are the pastor at Real Life Church. We got our RLC mugs. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There you go. Just for you. 
um, real life church. <laughs> um, so I'd love to know, man, how do you how do you develop disciples in a context like real life church? Well, you know, historically, discipleship was classes, right? So you'd, you'd go to Sunday school or you do a Bible study or Bible, stu- uh, Bible study fellowship or then it became small groups. And it was highly, um, you know, we, we use the word community, but it was a Bible study in somebody's house. And so our assumption was that if we get people more information, then transformation will happen. Mm-hmm. But you and I both know that doesn't happen. I mean, some of the most knowledgeable people about the Bible aren't even Christians. Uh, Some people that think about the sound guy that works at your church. He hears every message (laughs) multiple times and Mm -hmm. may not possibly be the greatest disciple in your church. Right. (laughs) Gotcha. So uh, no disrespect to the sound guys. So I think that we've confused information for transformation and it's not. And in fact, the apostle Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Mm. So we're constantly trying to help people do two things. And I, I really take this back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I think I probably read this for years before I ever really understood the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Here, Jesus just unloads this uh, theological treatise of information and uh, how to live and all these things. And he wraps it all up with that story of the two guys that build houses, one on the rock and one on the sand. And he says, whoever hears these words of mind, and this is a key word, and puts them into practice yeah, is like the guy who built his house on the rock. And I think for most of my life, I was just hearing the word of God, but I was not putting it into practice. Yeah. Uh, my, my buddy, uh, Mike bro likes to talk about how this one, two punch is like a really good golf swing. Uh, hearing, hearing the word of God is a backswing, mm-hmm. uh, but doing the word of God is the follow through. And you and I both know people that all they do is have a backswing and they're walking around with their club up in the air like they're ready to hit somebody, right? But Jesus says, if you hear the word of God and do the word of God, that's when you have the full swing. So we're always trying around here to, yeah, we're going to give you opportunities to learn. That's what I love about the Red Letter Challenge because it's great information, but it also provides some practical stuff as well Mm. for you to do. So we're always pushing people to, yep, here's something to study, but here's something to do with it. Here's some homework from the message today. Here's how you get practical in the car ride home or with your neighbors or with a grudge you've been holding. How do you live this out rather than just learn it? That's awesome. And yeah, that it's amazing how great the Sermon on the Mount is. Uh, that's the yeah nemesis, the nemesis, the genesis for, um, yeah, a lot of our, our work as well. And so I love that. <laughs> there you go. I got buzzed. Um, the hearing and the doing. And so what I heard, uh, do you watch golf, Rusty, as well? I, I watch it some. Okay. So on the PGA tour, if you're big golfers, what I heard is I want a backswing like Sung JM. It's like the slowest backswing in the PGA tour, but I want my forward swing to be like Bryson DeChambeau. Mm, oh, that's a beautiful and perfect disciple of Jesus as a golfer. Question, I, I like that. Analogy. I have a that's question. Cool. Is golf the most boring sport to watch <laughs> oh, stop on TV? Um, well, I'm going to make some listeners upset here. NASCAR is close because they just go in a yeah. circle. Turn left, turn left, turn left. Exactly. Turn left. And soccer's just keep away for an undisclosed <laughs> amount of time. Thank so. you, Rusty. <laughs> I went to a soccer game and it ended 0-0. I'm like, there is, 
I could have not come and it would have been the same result. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's my problem as well. We don't know when it's going to end, yes! but we know it you will be no zero, zero. Oh, mm -hmm. they just blew awesome. the whistle. Game's over. Let's go home. <laughs> zero, zero. That was fun. The only soccer worth watching is Ted Lasso. Pretty good. He's right. It's a good coach right there. That's a, that's the correct answer. Thank you. I got the good buzzer. 30 points. So I heard uh, hearing and doing information transformation. So in light of that, especially like in the past couple of years, what we've been through with the pandemic, the mm. jump a lot of churches made to digital discipleship. Some were way more ready for that. Some not. Like That's right. What do you see as sort of the strengths and weaknesses of digital discipleship on the sort of information transformation side? Is it is it the same as in person or what what would be unique? And about it? is it possible? Can you disciple online? Yeah. Well, I think that what we're seeing with digital discipleship right now is equivalent to when the Church of Ephesus would get a letter from Paul and they'd all gather around and they'd listen to it. So sure, they could pass it around and you could read it on your own. But when you gather together, then you have mutual accountability. So I think that assuming that the camera or the the, the screen is evil is, is, is missing the point. That's just a medium to convey the information. But I, I would say that what we're missing is kind of the non-downloadable experience where you have to look across the room and 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 deal with this. But I mean, you can be highly engaged online, watching, mm -hmm. talking with your family, worshiping together, involved in the chat room. Uh, you can be more engaged there than you could be in the auditorium if you sit in the back row and sleep the whole time. So <laughs> I, I think it's possible to be disengaged either way. The question is, are you going to bring people into it? So yeah. I always encourage our people that, yeah, you're going to watch online. Great. Have a watch party. Have people with you. I mean, because you and I both know when we're watching, with just sometimes, most of the time, with just our family or just ourselves, we're not standing up worshiping God. We're right. just, you know, making lunch or something like that while that's going on. Yeah. So I, I would say there is a, a huge value in it. And I think pre pandemic, the way we would talk about it is hey, you can do church, you know, in the room or at home, but make sure you experience church. And they would watch it while it's streamed. Now we talk about it more like, Okay, you can start off with the streaming, but come to the to the actual service because it's going to create a non-downloadable experience. There's going to be obviously worship, prayer time, meeting people, uh, engaging with others, and for many of us, the most most uh, opportunity to act like Jesus is behaving in the parking lot at our church. <laughs> so we, we don't want to miss that opportunity for uh, iron sharpening iron. Amen to that. Yeah, That's it gives great. them that real opportunity to, yeah. uh, how do you, in the midst of persecution and traffic and right, right. everything. Yeah, yeah you're right. in LA, man. Like, <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. forgiven after that traffic. <laughs> right. All right, so I'm curious, because like in the discipleship space, I think you could also argue in the church space and Christianity, whatever word, discipleship, Christianity, church, like in your bio, you have the word simple a couple of times. Like yeah. you want to make real life simple. Your leadership podcast is called Leading Simple. Um, the other side of that is, no, we shouldn't We shouldn't be leading simple or doing things simple. Like there's got to be a depth um, to what we're doing, to discipleship, to the church. What, how would you respond? Yeah, how would you respond to that? Let me start off with just a bit of an analogy. Uh, this past weekend, I was on an airplane and I'm always amazed what the flight attendants and the captain think we understand. <laughs> um, they will get on the PA and they'll give us instructions 
um, and use words that none of us ever use. I figured out what stow means. They're trying to say store. Okay. But when they say we're going to encounter a significant amount of chop, I think I know what that means, but I'm not sure. Or when they say don't get up until the flight attendant's done with cross check. Still don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know if that's a Catholic thing or, yeah, or yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good, yeah. yeah, totally. But here I am in their world and they're using language I don't understand. That's not simple. Mm. I think the knock on simple has been if a church is simple, it means it's shallow. And then the assumption is that complicated is deep. And so if a teacher gets up and speaks and you go, boy, I didn't understand half of that. So it must have been really deep. But does that allow information to bring application, which brings transformation? Right. No, it just makes the speaker look really smart. So I think what I've been, you know, warring against over the last 20 years is this uh, insider language or filling the words or filling the, the air with words that people don't understand that make me look smart. Um, but but don't help anybody. So I think it was Rick Warren that said complicated isn't deep and simple isn't shallow. Ooh, I like it. So if we're able to just simplify the message and you think about it, that's what Jesus did. I mean, yeah. he's always saying, you've read this, but I say to you, or I've come to fulfill this, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, let me tell you a story about a farmer. And very rarely did Jesus get up and just read the Old Testament. <laughs> he uh, often would tell something entirely different or put it in a vernacular that they understood. So I think uh, simplifying things takes us off the the throne a little bit uh, and puts the uh, the audience more on the the I don't want to say throne, but it, it gives them the priority of how will this make sense to you? I get to live in California where we are a mission field. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty obvious how how far we have fallen off the grid. And I have to contextualize everything. I have to, I mean, even simple things like where I'm from, we would call it pop. Out here, it's soda. Yeah. <laughs> so and, just and learn. Pop. <laughs> exactly. So when I get up and I talk about uh, and I quote Dallas Willard like he's my close friend, or I use words like um, uh, sanctification and justification and those kind of things. I mean, yeah. I, those are great. But what does that mean to the person out there that uh, is really struggling and has no context for following Jesus? Yeah, I like that. I, I, and I think that, too, like I recently heard, uh, you know, uh, and we all know this, that like swimming pools, there is a shallow end, there is a deep end. And I actually think some of us are, um, and I don't like the word shallow, but as much, but some of us are better suited to help people swimming in three or four feet water. Some of us are better suited to help people swimming in eight to 10 feet water. I feel like I'm, I'm better suited to help people in the three to four foot of here's what this is. Like, let's, let's, the key is, are we swimming? Are we in the pool and mm-hmm. let's grow and let's realize and recognize that each of us has strengths as we lead. And so someone who might be at that deep eight to 10 foot level, great, find people that need that and go for it. But also if you're really good at breaking things down simply to allow people to just understand and get in like that, we need more people like that too. We need people yeah. across the board and, and, you know, helping out in, in every area. So I love that. So breaking it down complicated, isn't, uh, isn't deep. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, that's so, so good. Simple isn't shallow. I was just talking to my first communion class, like fourth and fifth graders, you know, and we were walking through this and I'm like, man, so many of these words 
are ridiculous. I don't use redemption in everyday life unless I'm at Chuck E. Cheese's. Then Do you go I, there a lot? Yes. I mean, with that jacket, if, are you if, kidding you, me? if you are listening and not watching, um, Chris has a $39 jacket from Amazon. Right here. And looks like you could have won it at Chuck E. Cheese's, honestly. It's gold, too. It's gold. <laughs> On certain days, it's red on certain days. would be like 5,000 tickets for that suit. <laughs> oh, totally. And, you know, I say that, though, but, like, the only time we use the word redemption yeah. is when we go to Dave & Buster's, Chuck E. Cheese's. We take the tickets. Right. We redeem them in for something that we spent $50 on, and we get a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> like, we're we're using these big words for no reason. Now it's right. simple, simple, $75 stupid. with inflation That's what my grandpa said. That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Rusty, uh, you are uh, a leader of many leaders and mm. a leader to many pastors. And uh, I, I even remember I was actually first going to come meet you in California in, I think it was 2019. And we were going to have a conversation and, and you texted me, hey, man, there's an emergency going on at our church right now. And come to find out, you know, the next day um, there was a tragic suicide of your family life pastor, mm. uh, Jim Howard. Um, and, and you were leading the church through losing someone that they absolutely loved. Um, what advice do you have? I, I want to talk first to two people. Um, first to those that might be having suicidal thoughts that might be in the space where, where Jim was. And then I'd also then love to talk to, we have a lot of church leaders that are listening to this, pastors. Uh, how do we uh, minister and uh, address um, suicide and, and what, what can be going on in people's minds? Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you uh, wanting to talk to both of those audiences. And I, I would start off by talking to those who have thought about suicide. And I, I think that especially having gone through the last couple of years, the isolation that many of us have felt, the depression, the anxiety rates, uh, it's it's no stranger that suicide is on the rise. And it seems to be, first of all, um, an escape. And second of all, many people believe that they are such a burden to those people in their life, their lives would be better. Mm -hmm. I can tell you having lost three friends to suicide over my lifetime, mm. it never makes things better. <laughs> you are not a burden and the wake of devastation you will leave behind is far greater than whatever burden you feel like you are creating right now. Mm. And the darkness that you are in uh, is just covering the light. It hasn't replaced it. It's not gone. So call somebody, talk to somebody, uh, cry out for help, uh, because there are so many resources out there to help. Um, uh, th through this situation, uh, I was able to connect with Kay Warren, who yeah. she and her husband lost their son to suicide. And she has so many great resources out there on kwarren.com that help people that have either uh, lost someone to suicide or who are, might be considering suicide. Now, speaking from our context, um, I, I think that for churches out there that are dealing with this and the, the rate is higher and higher, it seems yeah. like probably every other month I'm on a phone call with some church that has lost a, uh, a pastor to suicide or their, one of their family members to suicide. And I, I think that initially we all want someone to blame. And if you're leading a church that has a suicide on staff, people in your church will want someone to blame. They'll want to blame themselves or they'll want to blame you. 
And the quicker you can shift the attention from the blame, but to how can we help, the better off you'll be. Because what will happen is there'll be people in your church that think, well, if he couldn't make it, how, how do I think I can make it? Yeah. If he felt like he could give up and still go to heaven, uh, I guess I got an out now. So you have to come mm -hmm. to the rescue of those that might see this as an option. Mm -hmm. Sure provide support. And we, we did that. And that was one of the things I think we did well. We talked about mental health issues. Right. We did not know that he was on um, uh, mental health uh, medication um, until afterwards. Mm. We did not know he had a condition. Mm -hmm. And that's not one of those things you can ask when you hire somebody. Right. But he had not been forthcoming with that. But apparently he was prone to go on and off of his medication. Oof. which is a bad, bad idea. So he's unstable to begin with. Um, we had suspicion that there was infidelity in his marriage on his part. And when we addressed it, he resigned. Gotcha. And then three days later, he took his life. Mm. So when I had to stand up and tell the church what had happened, I could not say he had an affair and then took his life because we didn't have proof yet. Right. And I've got the susp the suspected person, her family sitting out there. I've got Jim's family that's sitting there. And I, and I, you know, we're a church of grace as well as truth. So yeah. for me to say that without all the facts, then I'm throwing a lot of people under the bus. And so I just, I, I took the lead of let's deal with the mental health issue. In hindsight, I wish I would have said, there have been some allegations that we were investigating. Uh, I'll tell you what I know right now. Is there more to it? Yes, but I, I, I can't say right now. But I do believe that this was an igniter for a deeper problem, which was his desire to escape. Mm. I wish I'd gone that far. I didn't. And why, why do you wish that you would have gone that far? I, well, and that's I think that's because I took so much heat for when it did come out. Mm -hmm. They thought we were we, they thought we were covering something up, ah, which we really weren't. We just didn't yeah. know. So um, do you feel like the people blamed you for this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. they blamed me. I think they blamed um, the organization. They thought, well, it must not be healthy right. or they blamed us for covering up, which gotcha. if you've been around real life at all, you know that we're true to our name. And we don't have a problem telling you our weaknesses and our, our faults. We just couldn't come out and say that without having the information that, you know, we had told his wife and this other woman's family, and we didn't have it all. So in hindsight, I wish we could have clarified that a little bit better. So I, I can caution some pastors on, hey, call me. <laughs> yeah, I'll help you. Yeah. And in fact, we had a guy in our church that he does, uh, you know, PR for companies, and he was great in helping us just deal with the press because the press all wants someone to blame. Yeah. That's okay. That like, that's okay. I mean, there's times and yeah, let's, yeah. let's get some help from outside. Yes, absolutely. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So in fact, we're, we're putting together resources right now that we can awesome. put out to people and, so good. and that's offer awesome. help so yeah. that they don't have to go through this alone. When I talk to other churches, there's another church down here in Southern California, whose lead pastor died by suicide. And we talked their, their whole staff. This was, this was one of the great, the great things. Their whole staff brought us lunch one day and just sat with our staff yeah. And we just lamented and it was mm -hmm. so beautiful. Wow. And I, I thought from that moment on, I'm not going to waste an opportunity to tell my story because there's some people that need to hear it. Mm. 
So, you know, before we went on, you said, is it okay to talk about this? And yeah, it's painful, but it needs to be said because it can help somebody else out just as much as what that church did for us, helped us out. What Kay Warren did for us, helped mm -hmm. us out. And I think we're beginning to see that this is an epidemic of, uh, of huge proportion. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, yeah. one thing that I've seen, and I heard it when you were talking to those that may be thinking about it is they live in isolation and mm -hmm. so they maybe aren't forthcoming because they may feel like they're alone or they mm -hmm. um, would get ostracized. Uh, we've done a couple times at our church, I uh, do this exercise when we talk about forgiveness and needing God's forgiveness. And, and so we talk about like some really deep things. And I survey the, the audience anonymously in a way where they answer 12 questions. And then we actually have people stand up for each question. So big stuff, mm -hmm. you know, like, does anyone uh, live with constant shame? Um, mm -hmm. uh, have you been abused or been an abuser? Um, and, and the one question we have in there is, uh, are you, have you thought about or attempted suicide in the past? And out of all 12 questions, again, big questions, uh, big stuff that, that we deal with out of all 12, that is always a hundred percent of the time that I've done that been the one that's most surprising and hmm. shocking and sad is how many people stand up for that. Yeah. And so it stinks. But if I see anything, if, if that tells me anything, it shows me that like, there's no way you are alone. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people um, that are struggling or have had thoughts well, attempted. And, and I so. think the problem with that is that a lot of times it's the person that you would least expect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it, it's the person who has the happy church face. And then mm -hmm. this happens and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't see a sign of this. You know, I didn't right. know he was on um, anti-depression, depression meds. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that we all assume that our, our church leaders have it all figured out, which yes. we're all just struggling. I think the, one of the lies that happens in our own minds, uh, from the enemy is, you know, they'll be better off without you. Mm -hmm. No one will miss you. Mm -hmm. um, you're insignificant. Right. And don't you want to be out of the pain? Yes. Uh, yes. I think that's the one that really got Jim because he was living this double life and he knew it was going to come out eventually. In fact, we were already on to him and we were trying to figure out how do we help you and your wife. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I think he just thought, I, I don't want to be in pain anymore. Right. So let's just end this. And, and that's one of the lies that the enemy uses of, you know, don't you just want this to be over? And it, you know, it's, it's not the way out. Right. And I, I'm convinced that the enemy isolates us mm -hmm. and cuts us off from community. And yep. then that is the breeding ground for more lies to come about. You know, like I see that all the time with kids, especially during COVID, they isolated themselves. They started believing lies. And then the, 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 the um, fertilizer was social media. They were comparing each other to what the other guys were doing. And I saw more cases. I work with youth. I saw more cases of having to send kids to a counseling than I've ever seen in 20 years of doing this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I even think about the, the spheres we run in of pastors, mm -hmm. you know, uh, church attendance been, has been cut in half since mm -hmm. COVID. Yeah. And you, you go and you, especially the church planners, you go and you set up and you look out and you think, goodness, there's no one here. This is not worth it. Then you go home and you get on social media and, hey, Stephen Furtick just baptized another 10,000 people, you know, <laughs> You're like it's what so in the true. world? You know, you just feel yeah. like I, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's so true. 
Yeah, and he's got those massive biceps. Yeah, denim, denim. Yeah. yeah. So, and especially for pastors, yeah, the emotional Barna always does these research, and I'm I'm a big stat junkie. He's and, a nerd. And and so yeah, the emotional and, and overall well-being of pastors is at all-time lows, mm-hmm. um, probably because of all the results and the fact that our identity is too much in what we do and when things get changed or disrupted and the people don't show up, like we can take it personally and that's that's always hard. So mm-hmm. obviously in the wake of it there was a lot of, you know, addressing it and uh, maneuvering um which I think is very difficult. Um, how have you kind of long-term then helped your church or maybe even helped others um, on sort of the mental health side of things? Yeah, I think we've normalized the conversation. Um, I got very honest and vulnerable with my own struggle with anxiety and that I did go on medication Mm -hmm. and that it it changed my life Mm -hmm. and encouraged people to do that. There's not, you know, a a scarlet letter behind that. It's okay. Uh, We talk about it more often now. We address the fact that suicide ideation is prevalent in our families. Um, We are going to do a mental health series right after Easter this year. We're going to bring in. Uh, an expert to talk about how to see if there's suicide, uh, you know, on the mind of your teenager and talk through some of the real things that our kids are wrestling with. And I think for parents, I think a lot of us are, are, are realizing that, you know what, kids nowadays do have it worse than we had it. Uh, and I think, you know, parents always love to say, you have no idea in my day, we, and you know what, in my day, if somebody picked on you, it happened at school and then it was done. Well, now exactly. it's on social media. Now it's 24 yeah. seven. Now you can be canceled. You can be, you know, uh, held hostage uh, Mm -hmm. because of a picture you sent, those kind of things. So getting that information out there uh, really begins to kind of normalize the conversation rather than let people stuff it down. Yeah. Normalize the conversation. That is 50 points. I love that. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rusty. So I want to know in your own pursuit, as you're a disciple of Jesus, like what is giving you the most joy right now as you're following after Jesus? Well, this will go back a little bit to the depth question. Um, I, uh, people find this hard to believe because I stand up on a stage and I speak for a living, but I'm an introvert by nature. Yeah. And, uh, and people say, well, how can you stand on a stage and talk? It's easy. They don't talk back. So (laughs) I, (laughs) I say what I want and I leave. Um, but truthfully, my nature is to go home, close the garage door, sit on the couch with my family and watch TV and know no one else. Uh, and this is a lot of my life was walking around with a golf club up in the air. I consumed information. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I've written books. I've read books. I love to read. Yeah. But the times when I have grown the most in my relationship with God is when I am walking with an unbeliever and answering their tough questions. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because now it's no longer me just hitting the faith button or saying, well, I had a professor that believed that, so I'm going to believe it. I got to answer this to a kid that he doesn't know. He he doesn't have the background I do. Or I got a neighbor who's struggling with, you know, a porn addiction or his wife hates him or whatever. So walking with an unbeliever helps you grow more than than anything. I mean, and I think the disciples got that. That's why even though they knew Jesus, had Jesus, was going to heaven, they went out and lost their lives telling other people about Jesus because they knew the value of that. So I would encourage people, if you don't know a lost friend, then there's an issue. 
And I, and I would say that's not just for introverts. That's for extroverts too. Yes. I'm an extrovert, Rusty. And I would say like, if I'm not intentional, uh, I can easily surround myself in a Christian bubble mm-hmm. yep. uh, with the things that I do. And unless I'm intentionally thinking about, I'm on this earth to, yes, of course, help challenge and inspire those who already follow, but also to bring new people as best I can through God's spirit into God's kingdom. And if I'm not in relationships with those people, I got to get in those. And so yeah. how do we do that? And yeah, absolutely. So, I would, can I ask you, how, how do you naturally, I'm, I'm even for myself, like I'm always wondering, how do you naturally get into relationship uh, in a, in a area or world where it's easy to surround yourself in a bubble. Maybe it's easier in California than Nebraska. (laughs) Well, we can certainly go outside more. Uh, (laughs) You know, what what we did was um, we just got to know our neighbors and, you know, it's really easy for you to just run inside, but just to linger outside a little longer, take walks, stop and talk to people. Uh, And then we would hold uh, uh, barbecues in the front yard. We dragged the, you know, everybody wants to build the Taj Mahal of a grill in the backyard. Yeah. But we kept one on portable and we would drag it out front yeah. and we'd put flyers on everybody's door. And then I would invite my community group or your small group to be there as well. So there's critical mass. That's awesome. Because if you're just the only one out there flipping burgers, your neighbors say, yeah, this is a serial killer in the making. So <laughs> uh, we <laughs> will be on Netflix in a yeah, few weeks. Yeah, exactly. So we put flyers on doors and say, hey, come on out. And uh, this is this might ruffle some feathers, but I'll say it because I'm from California now and and we can get away with this Mm -hmm. Um, because my wife and I are from the Midwest. You know, we were fine with people bringing beer, um, but we would never provide it. And uh, I had a pastor tell me once they find out you're a pastor and they see you're not providing alcohol, they'll think they're being judged. So at least provide it, put it out there. Yeah, because you don't have to drink it, but that will so that will say to them, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I've noticed when I started doing that, more people come, yeah, more people course. stay uh, yes. because. They hey, we're it. a couple of Lutheran pastors, yeah. so we get it, man. Yeah. Oh, yes. You guys yeah. brought it to the you, States. You ain't defending us. First so. miracle, water into wine, baby. <laughs> and it was better than the first batch. All right. Real quick. I, I, so I you're tried. You're totally hogging this interview. No, I got I know, no question. When you said. Um, invite neighbor. We just moved up to Nebraska not long ago. And so we were like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do a a food, invite our neighbors. We actually rented a food truck. We were going out, we put flyers, we did exactly. And we were like, we want you to come and meet us. And you rented um, a food truck. Yeah. So it's a thing. There's a whole business that rents food trucks to homes. It's awesome. But like, the week of, I'm telling you about, this is the worst open house party ever is where this is going. <laughs> the week of my wife and my youngest son both get COVID. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and so I'm testing every day. Um, I've got the deposit in for the mm-hmm. food trucks. So mm-hmm. I can't get my money back for mm-hmm. that. I mean, it was a pretty good investment. Come, and so Come over for COVID eventually, tacos. Eventually what it was, it was me in a front lawn with a, a lawn chair with a food truck. And a respirator. And coming to an open house party that you can't go inside or meet half of my family it was the single worst open house party of all time it was a fail um that's really good i did end there was i was due 30 quesadillas at the end of the night so mm. i did get those nice and then oh I that's good for covid the next day nice. and quesadillas for the next 12 days while I was that's so good that so is so you inspired good. me i'm gonna do it again and i'm gonna be honest yeah. and i'm gonna say Last year's open house party was terrible, yeah. but we still want to meet you. And you know what? Make your own food. You know, <laughs> well, we wanted What's to be present on? for the no. neighbors. No, anyway. you can be present. Look at what he's doing. <laughs> I'm you. actually going to do a food truck now. That's a great idea. 
Well, that's just hopefully it's refundable for you. Yeah, um, and I'm gonna get that in the notes. That's good. <laughs> All right, hey man. So we talked about finding joy. A couple more quick questions. Where are you? Where is it? Uh, what are you finding difficult right now in your pursuit to follow Jesus? Nothing. <laughs> it's all swimmingly. Yes. Uh, what's difficult in my pursuit of following Jesus? Wow. You know, I think uh, just the consistency of prayer time mm. and, and making sure it stays fresh. Uh, I think that it can get really, uh, I don't know, systematic. Yeah, And I like routine, but the ability to kind of mix it up, to turn off the radio and talk to Jesus like he's sitting there. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of things really help me break out of that rut. Yeah, nice. that's great. You uh, recently came out with a book called After Amen. So it's mm -hmm. about prayer. Mm -hmm. um, it's about God's unanswered prayers. So tell me one or two key findings in that, because I know I wrestle with that. Out of all the habits uh, of Jesus, I do feel like prayer is the one I need the most growth in. And sometimes it is that. Um, unanswered prayer, or what are you doing, God? So what was a couple of key findings um, that might help our people? Yeah, and it really came out of a conversation in the lobby over and over again, where people would come up and ask me to pray for them because they tried it and it didn't work. <laughs> and they wanted to know, what am I doing wrong? Right. Yeah, right. You, you have know? the answer key. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got the hotline. Yeah, so exactly. I, uh, <laughs> I said, I'm a Royals fan, uh, so oh, I don't no. have the hotline often. So... <laughs> um, no, I think I, I went back to the scriptures and I just looked at every time somebody came to Jesus with a request, because that was their prayer. Mm -hmm. And very rarely did Jesus say, you got it. So <laughs> uh, he often gave them things to do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I looked at there was some commonality in the things that he told them to do. We boil it down to six cool. um, that people can walk through things like, all right, I need to accept the fact he may say yes, but in a different way. Mm. Uh, I need to accept the fact that... Um, you know what? Sometimes his purpose is bigger than my preference. You know, yeah. uh, sometimes it's about there are some checklist things I got to run through because the Bible does talk about the reason sometimes God does not answer our prayers is because of unconfessed sin, mm. uh, unresolved relationships and various things like that. So we try to group those together. In fact, uh, if you go to my website, pastorrestygeorge.com, we actually have sermons and videos for all pastors if you want them awesome. that, that will help you do this at your church and you don't have to give me credit. It's okay. <laughs> Well, that's what we're looking for. Yeah, you, uh, you have permission. You don't have to credit to other people. Exactly. You know, that's what the gold we all are right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. And it's a great book. Uh, and, I, and I love the fact that, hey, let's go back and look at when people ask Jesus for things. What was his response? Um, we can do so well uh, when we just go back and look at Jesus. And so, um, Rusty, all right, we end with, uh, well, we've got a quick game with Chris in just a second, but right. I want to ask you, we ask all of our guests the same question. Uh, we're all about challenging people, kind of like what you said, information is great, but like, how can people actually be transformed? It's when they put these things into practice. And so we ask all our guests this question uh, as disciples, if you could challenge our audience with one thing practically that would help them grow in their discipleship this week that they could do what would that be? Write down what you pray for. Cool. Mm. We pray like we are just vomiting and then we, <laughs> we forget about it. And oftentimes we say, God doesn't answer my prayers, but he did. We just forgot what we asked for. I love it. Write That's it awesome. down. Keep coming back to it. You'll be amazed how you'll begin to see that God is actually saying yes. That is awesome. 50 points. All okay, right. I think so I'm up to 130. 
I, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't have any, but that's fine. No. It's not about a competition here. No, um, you lost points actually. <laughs> so, all right. If you take that challenge on, I want you to go ahead and put hashtag red letter disciple Ooh. somewhere on the socials, on the YouTube video. So we can steal yet YouTube. another rusty George idea and then give yeah, it to red letter. He just said he doesn't need credit. Oh, well that, not God, at all. There you go. That is fantastic. All right. All right. Chris has got a great game for you on the way out, Rusty. All right. Are you ready? You're at I'm ready. You're at 130 points currently, Pastor Rusty George. What but does he need to get to to be like the guest of the first season? Well, the current lead is 160. So there's a lot on the line right wow. now. And I don't okay. know if he's a competitive okay. guy, but uh, here we go. He is. This is what's going to happen. I noticed in the uh, my extensive research that you have – your name is actually two first names. Wow, that was great research you did. Yeah, my crack team of uh, people said, you know what? He's got two first names. And I'm like, you know, he does. Rusty George. Yeah, no, that's good. But you know what? This is not uncommon. <laughs> there are a lot of famous people besides Rusty George Come who on. have two first names. Really? That's right. Wow. So we're going to play the double first name game. Put 45 seconds on the clock. You will get 20 points for each correct answer. We have you. The goal is to get five names in 45 seconds. So Let's you're do gonna it. Describe who they are. And then he's guessing. That's correct. Okay. Um, like all right. It. I'm going to start my timer now. Nickname the golden bear. This golfer has won 117 tournaments. Jack Nicholas. <laughs> She's an American singer, songwriter, and television judge. She's known for her influence on pop, sound, and style in 2010. And she pursued a career in gospel music at 16. I believe she grew up in a pastor's family. She did. And knows about California girls. Pass. Oh, Katy Perry. Yeah, that's right. American actor, film producer, screenwriter, ranked among Forbes' most bankable stars, came to prominence in 1997 when he wrote Goodwill Hunting. Matt Damon. That's right. Let's go. Uh, American actor known for King of Queens. He was Doug Heffernan. Kevin James. Paul Blart. Yes, Kevin Paul James. Blart. Right. That's it. You got Fantastic. Four. Yeah. yeah, that's Raises. 80 points. He is currently in the lead with 210 points. 210, baby. Awesome. Oh, I man. Love it. The ones that we didn't get to, an English singer, pianist, and composer. Elton John. That's right. And the final one, the toughest one, which I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you would get this American actor, comedian, producer, podcaster known for his ro role in as Ben Wyatt in Parks and Rec. Oh, my kids will kill me. I don't know yep. his name. Yeah. He also is. Uh, this isn't the same person, but has the same name. A pretty famous golfer from, I think, Australia. I don't watch golf. It's boring. Yeah. If you can smoke while doing it, it's not a sport. <laughs> Okay, we're going back there. That's good. Adam Scott Adam was Scott. the name. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. That's right. Rusty, if people want to connect with you more, um, where can they find you? PastorRustyGeorge.com. Awesome. Thanks, and, guys. Uh, on there, you're going to find all sorts of resources, links to uh, blog, podcast, books. Uh, you are an inspiration yes. and it helped so many. And uh, I'm really grateful that you uh, came on the Red Letter Disciple podcast. Yeah, that was well, awesome. Lo love what you guys are doing. Love the resources. They are great for anybody who's either been in the church forever or brand new in their faith. It's awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Rusty. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love Rusty. I love the simple but practical and powerful way that he leads. He's also, did you notice, he's pretty competitive. 
Hey, to connect more with Rusty and to access more of his resources and to see all of the show notes, go on over to redletterpodcast.com. Earlier in the show, I talked about our season one sponsor, The Giving Church. They can help turn obstacles into opportunities, especially with finances. So you can find out more about them and grab that free PDF to grow your church's giving at thegivingchurch.com slash red. If you are enjoying this show, I would love for you to do us a favor. Like like right now, five-star ratings literally take one to three seconds. Seriously, I mean, you just tap the stars. That's it. Writing a review with it, that might take a minute or two depending on how, 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 how wordsmithing and how powerful you make it. But I'm asking for a three-second to maybe two-minute investment of time to help us get this word out. If this podcast has been helpful for you, if it challenges you in your faith or you think it could somebody else, that would be awesome. Dylan2387 said, this show is outstanding. Any Christian who wants to learn to become a better disciple is going to find this podcast enjoy- enjoyable, helpful, and challenging. Like, that's awesome, Dylan. That's what we're here for. And speaking of what we're here for, episode nine is coming next week. We've got my friend Josh Dotzler, a former college basketball star at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, who became an inner city pastor, and now he leads this amazing nonprofit. I love his takes on why he's chosen intentionally to live in the inner city with his family and what the black community needs from those of us in the white community if we're truly going to reconcile our racial differences. It's a super fun episode, and I can't wait for you to hear his insights. It's dropping next Tuesday, and so the best way to make sure you listen, subscribe, or follow on any of your favorite platforms, and it'll automatically just show up Tuesday morning. I don't know how it does it, but it does it. And so till next time. A Huda Media Production.